Hello, Meditations and Mastery audience, and uh, welcome back. Well, welcome back, uh, me. I'm sorry that I've been uh, away for a few weeks and we haven't done this, but I am back with this podcast with a very, very special guest today. Uh, and what's really, really cool is that uh, Dr. Mike Reisman, who is with us today, is not um, only a uh, fellowship-trained um, pediatric urologist with a very, very impressive curriculum vitae and, and background and, and, and history uh, as a surgeon, um, but he's also a student at Krav Maga Martial Arts and a future black belt leader here, so that, that makes us exciting too. Uh, and, and, and I got to tell you before I, um, well, first of all, thanks for being here, Dr. Mike. Absolutely, my pleasure. Appreciate it. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the, before I go into why I invited Dr. Mike here today, I just want to say that, that I really, really enjoy him as a friend. Uh, and a student that, that like, you know, I love what I do teaching anyway, everybody knows that, but it's really, really, there's some people that are just a joy to teach and a joy to be around. And Dr. Mike is, is one of those. And, and, you know, so obviously he's going to bring some of his expertise to us today. Uh, but, you know, one of the things I appreciate, appreciate about uh, Mike is that he's just an amazing person too. Um, the reason I specifically thought to ask Dr. Mike to be here, in fact, the first time I think was at Crop Camp. Where because I, I was teaching these lessons and and uh, you know I have a way of trying to tie life skills and leadership lessons to the physical benefits and lessons of Krav Maga training and I was doing that and Dr. Mike kept coming up with these awesome analogies from his background as a surgeon and he would he would talk and now he does it in the classrooms here too and I said man we could probably put this on a podcast uh, to the community as well and it would be real fun so. So with, and this would be kind of a vague question to kick it off, Dr. Mike, but what were some of those, if you can remember back to some of those discussions, some of the analogies between what we do in Krav Maga and your experience uh, as a pediatric surgeon? Well, I think the first one happened uh, one of the very first days. And um, when one comes into a place like this, um, one wants to be respectful. I mean, a dojo is all about the respect which is very much like surgery. There's a hierarchy, you know, there's, you know, you're a medical student and then an intern and then a re junior resident, a senior resident, a fellow, a junior attending, and then an attending, you know, a full professor or a full attending in private practice. And well, here we have belts and sort of like the military, we have rank. Doesn't matter how old you are, if you're a man, a woman, whatever color, the rank is there, your rank. So that was similar. Now, one thing I noticed right from the beginning was the way in the very first lessons, even when I was just figuring out whether I wanted to be here or not, was um, that I was getting all of this praise that I felt unworthy of, and I didn't quite get it. And then I realized there was a pattern to it. It was, I was being praised, and then I was being corrected, and then I was being <laughs> praised again. And I was saying, well, as a surgeon, they leave the two little things on the outside out. You just get the criticism, right? <laughs> um, nobody says to you, boy, Mike, you're working really hard, but you just cut the carotid artery, but boy, you'll work hard and do it better next time. <laughs> they don't do that. It's like, what did you just do? Why would you do that? A lot of yelling, a lot of screaming, and about 98% negativity, and maybe 2% even you almost never get praised until you're done. And then they'll say, well, you know, you're a really good resident. Really? You, I mean, they would never even call you by your first name. 
I mean, that was, you know, it was always Reisman. That was it. Reisman, where are you? Reisman, where are you? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? You know, occasionally you would get a little positive, but it was a, a little flat. Well, that is not the way it was here, is here. Not only was, but is here. So I needed to make sure that it would, because it felt um, that I hadn't earned it. Mm. I hadn't earned that praise. And what you taught me was, in fact, this is your teaching method, that nothing was random, that, you know, and then I realized each of the senseis were doing the same thing. And what I noticed quickly about this place is everything comes from the top. Mm-hmm. And you, this is your place and you run it the way you want it. And I, I said something offhanded that I hoped, again, wouldn't have been seen as being rude, but you asked after a couple of weeks, well, what do you think? And I said, well, I don't know if you have a really well-functioning dojo here or a cult. And <laughs> I said, because everybody buys into the system and there's good reason for it. You, you, this is not like you're celebrating your 21st anniversary. This wouldn't have happened in your first year or second year. You have decided what works and what doesn't, kind of like a physician in practice for 20 years. Mm. You know, you are a much better doctor 20 years. Now, you know way more stuff your first year as far as book learning. Mm. They always say right after you take your boards to get board certified, you will never know more pediatric urology or internal medicine or whatever specialty you are at that moment because you're just so crammed full of information. Mm. You've been studying for a decade, you know, hours a day. So you know it all, but you have very little practical experience. Like you really haven't taken care of, you take care of patients, but not not like you have after five or 10 or, so you hit that sweet spot somewhere. Yes. Somewhere they say between 10 and 20 years of practice where you still have the enough mental energy to retain it all and your hands are better and you're better with people and whatever. So I have the luxury of wandering into this place 21, almost 21 years later. And I think you're kind of, you're at the peak. Now you could still get better, right? But I'm saying I have the advantage of those that came before me, all the iterations of KMMA that now has led to this. And there will be more, I know that, you know, even, at crowd camp, you mentioned, oh, we're doing things differently this year than we did last year. So it's an ever evolving thing. And, um, but um, one of the things that I felt was very similar that I've been thinking about um, is the relationship between student and chairman. So you're the chairman of this department. Like, uh, like, let's say you know, you're in medical school, you're the dean of the medical school. Now the dean teaches, but the dean also has many people below him or her who they are delegated to teach in a way that he or she would like because it's your department. So I kind of saw that. And then as a, a surgeon, you have a special relationship with your chairman because he or she is the one who, uh, when people say, well, where did you train? Oh you're Dr. Peter's resident. Mm. So for the last 30 years, I've been Dr. Peter's resident, whether he likes it or not. Mm. You know, so he, I reflect him and they take that very seriously because mm. they don't really want to graduate anybody that doesn't reflect well, if they can help it. Yes, sir. So I find that my relationship with you, I kept like my brain kept making it that relationship, but I am 63 and not 
25. <laughs> you know, it's a different relationship, yes, but yes, but it's still built even at 63. I, this is your dojo and you are a grandmaster and I defer as I should. And that brought up about you calling me doctor or some of the senseis calling me doctor because it made me uncomfortable only because I didn't earn that here. It, to me, it doesn't give me any gravitas in this place, but it's a respect shown for what I've been through. <laughs> so I've been told. First of all, thank you for all of that. It not all very useful and, and, and very uh, complimentary as, as well. Thank you. Uh, but I get to, so first to address the last thing that you said though, it's um, not only, not only are you due that respect for having retired from a very successful career in which you were able to help a lot, a lot of people. Like, like we will get in, I'm sure to some stories of some of the, the amazing surgical victories that you've had. Cause I know because, because of uh, we've gotten to know each other a little bit. Um, and, and I think some of our, our, our best crowd analogy stories of that will come. But, but the other reason that I think that, that honestly, I enjoy calling you doctor and that is I think the very fact that we get to attract people like you mm -hmm. speaks to the credibility of our dojo as well, right? Like Absolutely. that, uh, you know, uh, Jim Rohn was one of my, my favorite philosophy teachers and, mm -hmm. and he's the one that first coined the, the law of association, uh, which is now, of course, a lot of teachers teach, but um, I think he was the first uh, when he's when he talks about the fact that you become like the five people that you hang around the most often, right? Like it's, sure. it's very important. So, and I think we have that kind of community. It's the, it's the right people, you know, from all different walks of life and, uh, and demographics, but it's the right people with a positive mindset and that are um, achievement oriented and, and trying to get better all the time. Like, like uh, you, you alluded to the dojo doing it, the, the one of our leadership principles constantly never any improvement. And, the, and, and certainly we do that here in the dojo, uh, but I think that, 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 that our whole community is kind of dedicated to that, which is, makes it special. And, uh, and it honors us to have, have you with us. So thank you. Um, I wanted to bring up in, in the crowd camp, I think one of the first times that I was like, just really in awe of, of your um, ability to, to draw the analogies between the two was, I think it was right after the stress drill. And I was explaining the importance of the stress drill, how it's kind of the litmus test to figure out how well you're getting at your Krav Maga, how, how good you're getting at your Krav Maga, because you can tell when you have to operate under stress and people are attacking you with sticks and knives and guns and multiple attacker scenarios and all these things. And you related it to your, your former environment. Yes. Could, could you tell, talk to us about that again? Sure. Um, that is kind of what surgical training is about. Um, at a typical, when you're a resident, just to go back, an intern is the first year. So I did six, two years of general surgery, then four years of urology, then one year of pediatric urology. So seven years after medical school. For the first several years, probably three or four, you're on call every second or third night. Um, mostly every third night in my program, which meant like you went to work on Monday and you came home Tuesday afternoon. So you'd work about 36 hours and you'd go home Tuesday afternoon. Then Wednesday, you would work about 12 hours from like six in the morning till six at night. And then Thursday, you'd start that all over again. So you really had one night out of three to almost be human. Um, but it, the idea, part of the idea was, is that if you can work under stress, if you can 
make good decisions when you've been awake for 30 hours and still hold a knife steady and still figure out what to do, then when you're in your regular every day, it's going to seem easy. Mm. So if you look at like some baseball players will hit a heavy ball or swing a heavy bat. And so when they go to swing the regular bat, it feels very light. So that's kind of the same kind of thing. So under the, your stress drill, you know, you don't know if somebody's going to stab you, shoot you, grab you, hug you or whatever. You have to be able to think of all. So in the training, we start off with pieces and then we get to do one of those. Here's what's coming. And then here's the other thing that's coming. And now you don't know what's coming. Okay. <laughs> and now I get it. And now it's going to be three and four and five and 10 different things. So you begin to see, well, that's the way we're taught as surgeons. We're taught first go home and learn how to tie a knot. You know, go get a chicken breast and take a scalpel and cut it because that's, that's kind of like skin, mm. the skin of a chicken and the, the muscle and learn how to sew. And you do that. I, I remember uh, my father, who's a general surgeon, he said, yeah, go home and, and tie 10,000 knots and then come back and talk to me. Because by, by that time, maybe you'll, you know, that'll be enough. Now we can really talk because you really don't know anything mm. yet. So, um, so the, those are the things that seem to me so simple. Mm. Break it down into small pieces, make them do it over and over again um, mm. in slightly different ways, put the pieces together, add a little bit more added responsibility as you go along. Um, but here you don't get yelled at nearly <laughs> as much. You might inadvertently get hit or <laughs> whacked a little, but you know, all, all in good fun and all, you know, to try to make it better, all in a very positive way. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so th that, that's, you know, I, I really should put this thing somewhere where it just works for us and I don't have to keep going back and forth. I'll try it like that. <laughs> um, you know, you just hit on, on something that, that, that I find so fascinating because it's something that we, I talk to my instructors about here and we kind of wrestle with a little bit to try to help people succeed because like you mentioned the 10,000 times with the chicken. And I always talk about the 10,000 hours that it takes to truly master anything. Mm -hmm. And of course the problem is that generally the students will think that they got it before they got it. Right. Like, <laughs> like, like there's, you know, and we know that the only way to make somebody great at something is to get sufficient repetition, sufficient practice, sufficient hours. Of course, our challenge, and, and, and I think my instructors do a pretty good job at it is we try to do disguised repetition as much as possible, <laughs> right? So that therefore it's not, you know, uh, my, my, my joke is that back, back in the 80s, when I first started training in the early 80s, you know, it was very much, okay, you have to throw this kick a thousand times, ready, one, <laughs> right? As opposed to, you know, we try to find all kinds of stimulating ways. You know, we're working on our speed, we're working on our focus, we're working on our power, we're working on our accuracy, but in reality, you're still throwing 10,000 round kicks, right? Or whatever yeah. it is. Um, I think that that is, one is very, very similar in our two worlds, but two, I think what we allude to is important is that ultimately while we have to use the disguised repetition at the beginning here, because let's face it, by medical school, everybody that's there is pretty competitive and has yeah. some discipline and all those things. So that's, that's why it's different. We of course are trying to prepare somebody to be able to make it into medical school right. or Harvard or West Point or naval cat or wherever they want to go, sure. right? Um, so it's so it's different because we, we're dealing often with younger people and such, and, and sometimes even with older people, but they just haven't had that type of training, right? So uh, the point of the story is that in, 
you know, you, you've heard me talk about the focus and the discipline. I would like you from your unique place, once again, as somebody on the other side of being a surgeon. And oh, by the way, we can also talk later about the fact you became a surgeon, but then you just talked about all those additional years of learning. That's kind of like people here that think you get your bike while you're done, right? Like, <laughs> yes, but, but, that's, but right now I wanted you to just speak to, um, let's say that somebody was, was going to say, I want, I want my kid to go off and be a surgeon. I want them to be a doctor. I want to do whatever. Like, what do you, what do you see? Because I watch you watching when I teach the leadership stuff. What do you see as some of the things that we are instilling that could help them be successful in, in that kind of challenging academic environment? Well, I believe that things are, are changing and not for the better. Uh, in my years, it's funny, like my father, you know, it's always like, oh, the next generation is lazy. Everybody thought the next generation is lazy. And that's, but, well, like my father, when he was a surgeon, he worked every other night. That means he worked 36 on and 12 off for five years of his residency. And the joke was, if you were only on call every other night, you missed half the cases, ah. right? Well, I mean, that was no way to live. So like my generation went to every third night. And, you know, of course, he thought I was lazy. Well, but now it's interesting is the hierarchy has broken down in society. Mm. So my view of it is society is not teaching the hierarchy anymore. You've got to go out and find it. You're not going to find it in your public school for the most part. You often won't find it in a private school for the most part. You've got to find, you will find it in a parochial school almost always um, in a religious school. But so now the medical student, this happened to me, I would say 10 to 15 years ago. There was a classic, it was a Friday morning and I had 10 operations to do that day. And I had a new resident over from USF Medical School, a fourth year urology resident. And uh, I'll call him Joe, not his name. <laughs> and so um, I'm in the, uh, there's a lounge, like I'd already seen the first patient and they were gonna get him ready for surgery. And so I'm just there, you know, doing some charting work. And a friend of mine's an orthopedic surgeon, he's doing the same thing. We're the only two people in the room. And the resident walks in, Joe, and he looks at me and he goes, hi, Mike, how are you today? What are we doing? And I remember I was sitting and I looked up at him. He was like six foot five. And I looked up and I said, I cannot even begin to tell you how many things were wrong with that sentence. I said, number one, I'm not a dick, but I'm Dr. Reisman until I tell you otherwise. That's right. <laughs> I said, number two, you should know exactly the operations we're doing today. You should have already read about all of them mm. and you should know everything about them. And that's so already, you're, and the orthopedic surgeon is looking at me going, I'd throw this kid out immediately. So what happened is in our society is we've decided that everybody has an opinion. And that's true, and I respect it. But all opinions are not equal, and all opinions are not valid. But our society now thinks that they are. Mm. So if your kid wants to go to medical school or go to West Point or anything like that, my advice is get them into some training that will teach them what they need to know, that there is a hierarchy of opinion, of valued opinion. Like as a pediatric urologist, I would say to my patients, if it was complicated, please go get a second opinion. 
but don't get it from your pediatrician. Right. He or she doesn't know anything about what we're talking about. Get it from another board certified.